This is the Power of Genetics podcast. In each episode, I'll be interviewing successful practitioners and impactful thought leaders in the world of health and performance. They will share their journey, their insights, and their best advice for us all. I'm your host, Dr. Yael Jaffe. Let's begin with today's episode. Mary, 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 Mary Purdy. I have waited a very long time to have you as a guest on the Power of Genetics podcast. So a very big, warm Seattling. Seattle, can it be warm? Welcome to you. Thank you, Yael. I'm so delighted to be here. And it's good to be in conversation with you, finally. I know it is quite ironic, right? We live in Seattle um, and the way we get to chat to each other is on a podcast, yeah, even though we're in the crazy? same city. Well, yeah, is, if that isn't a sign of our times, I don't know what is. So so Mary um, is a colleague of mine, a friend of mine. We have been working in the same space for a very, very long time. And, you know, I have a deep respect um, and almost awe of the incredible work that Mary's doing, and you're going to hear all about it very soon. And I was so excited to have Mary as a guest because the work that she's doing is quite unique and so fundamentally important to our future, the future of our planet, the future world, but really in changing the whole paradigm of nutrition. And if you've listened to any of my podcasts before, you'll know that I'm all about kind of expansion of, of how we define nutrition and how we practice it. So Mary, if you can please introduce yourself and tell them a little, everyone a little bit about who you are right now. And then once we know who you are not now and what your kind of day job is, I am going to take you back to that childhood because I'm guessing that this isn't the first time that you were dancing around the kitchen with carrots and vegetables. And everyone, if you don't follow Mary on Instagram, you really should. My absolute favorite. So Mary, I'm going to hand it over to you. Thank you. And I'm so delighted that somebody else appreciates the uh, the carrot dancing in the kitchen because it's one of my favorite things to do. And sometimes, you know, you never know if there's, there's just, there's crickets out there sometimes. So Anyway, I, I call myself an eco-dietitian, which is a name that I just ascribed to myself. And for me, what that means is that I really see the connection between environmental health and human health. And for me, human health is inextricably linked to how we are stewarding the earth. And food is a, a really strong lever to both support human health and environmental health. So that's where I lie at that intersection between human health, the food system, and, uh, and climate change and environmental um, degradation. So I, I might need to go back to, in terms of talking what I, what I do now, it, it is really um, it, it is based in the fact that I was a clinical dietitian for about 12 years in practice, really focusing on an integrative and functional medicine approach, food as medicine, you know, looking at all kinds of uh, genetics actually taught by you, um, uh, looking at functional labs, looking at cortisol, looking at microbiome, and really understanding root causes and contributing factors to um, all kinds of diseases and understanding how we can prevent them and um, perhaps reverse them in some cases and uh, uh, definitely address them. But I took a turn because I had an existential moment where the climate crisis was showing its um, its teeth, bearing its teeth more than ever in around you know 2018. And I thought I'm going to switch to the world of sustainability. How do I how do I make that that uh, that that shift? And um, I started understanding the role that the food system had on the climate crisis and environmental degradation. 
And as a health practitioner, and you know this, I mean, we are concerned about health and the climate crisis is having really profound health um, impacts on, on people. It is also having profound impacts on the environment, which is having profound impacts on health. And it is having an impact on our food security, which is having impact on human health. But if we reverse that, we know that the food system is having an impact on the degradation of the environment. It is responsible for a third of global greenhouse gases. And I thought, wow, there's no one talking about the health association here. So there's all of these environmental organizations and food systems webinars and seminars happening, but there's not a lot of discussion from the nutritional perspective of how is this affecting health? How is this affecting nutrient density of food, which then may affect health in some way or in many ways, as we know as nutrition practitioners. And, and so I began teaching and speaking and writing and podcasting and uh, joining all different kinds of organizations and groups and consulting and um, advising about how we can shift the food system to help mitigate the climate crisis. And specifically, I've spent a lot of time focused on how healthcare practitioners and dietitians who have such an intimate relationship with health and with food um, and can influence it so much, uh, that how they can be involved with serving the planet um, um, as well as their patients. Oh, that's beautifully said. And we are going to come back to it. So I think that's a great, a great, you know, background introduction. But I want to understand, let's go right back to the beginning, because there was obviously something about who you are and your life forces, perhaps, and that that drove you in this direction, your connection to the planet. So let's let's go back to the beginning and understand who Mary Purdy was those many decades ago that actually enabled you to become the kind of leader and kind of visionary that you are right now. Wow. So um, I was conceived in Cambodia. I feel like maybe that had an impact somewhere in there. I don't know. I don't know. I've been back since. I felt a connection to Angkor Wat. You know, I'm not sure what was happening with the spirits there at that time. But um, but after that, after I was finally born, I grew up in New York City and um, focused a lot uh, as a kid on performance. I actually was really involved in the theater as a now, kid. Why am I not surprised, Mary? Why am I not surprised? That one yeah. did not come. The Cambodia thing threw me. The drama and the theater did not. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it was, whether it was from, you know, skits in front of my parents with my friends, school plays, um, and gradually that became the theme of my life where I thought, oh, I'm going to be an actor in the theater or, or in, in other, uh, performance opportunities. And that was where I dedicated my time. I, you know, went to college for that, uh, went, moved to New York city and performed for, um, approximately 10 or so years in a variety of different settings from uh, stand-up comedy to improv to musicals to straight theater, regional theater, um, uh, all different kinds of, of roles and opportunities there. But, you know, it's it's a really, really difficult career. If people out there are thinking about it, think again, or maybe think about it in a, in a different way uh, in terms of a, a side project, perhaps a hobby. Uh, and so it's really hard uh, to make it, you know, to make it, and I'm putting that in quotes. And the, the good thing was that when I was really young, I was already really interested in nutrition uh, because I was very afraid of death. I was very afraid of death. And I thought, hmm, how can I put off death for as long as possible? How can I live to be as 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 old as I possibly can? I thought about these things. And um, I felt like broccoli might 
have a have an answer uh, might 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 hold the key to um to the ultimately long long life ahead of me and so that was something that had always been part of my sense of interest and in the theater you know you you want to stay well you want to stay vibrant you want to look good and so i had always just continued to to stay as healthy as possible but when the theater thing didn't work out um and i decided this is not fulfilling to me and then my dad got really sick and I was in a sort of an in-between space of what do I do with my life? I know that I I can't I, I can't stay in the theater anymore. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have any other real skills that I that I felt strong enough that would guide me, uh, you know, into a full-time career. But when my dad got sick and we were um, in a hospital with him, there were people there talking about diet and giving what I felt like was really in. <laughs> um, in or uh, ineffective dietary advice, unhealthy his, advice, <laughs> unhealthy, you know, for his eating, for his healing process. And I had already been doing a bunch of reading and taking some classes about nutrition and health. And I was working with a nutritionist um, in Woodstock, New York, you know, helping her to market and learning about quinoa and kale and all these things. Um, and feeling really good, like, oh my God, I'm off sugar. I feel great. What ha What's happening to my body? And in the meantime, I saw this interaction with my dad and the and the practitioners in the hospital feel like it was not something that um I would advise and and I would I was surprised to see the kind of the kind of advice that he was getting and I thought I I got to do something about that and that's where something clicked in my brain cuz someone said oh you can actually go to school to be a dietitian and um and help prevent anything like this from happening again, you know, getting bad advice in a hospital, which of course is, is always going to be different depending on the hospital that you go to and who you're working with and what the condition is. I and mean, there's a variety of different ways and, and approaches to, uh, to health and healing in the hospital. But that was what kicked off my journey. And um, I wanted to be more of a, for lack of a better word, like a holistic health practitioner, an integrative practitioner. And that's where I learned about Bastyr University in, uh, in the Seattle area that really focused on natural medicine, on food as medicine approaches, and thinking a little bit outside the box of mainstream, perhaps dietetics and approaches to, um, to wellness. And packed up my stuff and drove on out there from New York City, never looking back. And really, I didn't. I oh, I love these podcasts because I get to learn the most amazing things. And I always said that I I wish I had had the opportunity to, if I was going to study dietetics again, um, to do it at Bastia. I think that that is in itself. You find yourself in exactly the right place, and there's no doubt about it. Yeah, I definitely felt that way. I felt like when I when I arrived there, it it felt like my people. It felt like people who who had the same philosophies uh, that I did about food, really having such a profound impact on our body. And I only learned, you know, even more in-depth information as I continued both studying and getting my master's degree, but also just all of the other people that I wound up having exposure to and all of the webinars and seminars and conferences that you go to where your knowledge base is just expanding and exploding and you're understanding things like genetics or you're understanding, you know, nutritional biochemistry from a completely different perspective, not just learning it in school of, you know, this is the, this is the, the, the Krebs cycle, Krebs that does cycle. ABC yeah. memorizing it, but then applying it to your patients and going, now, wait a second. I think I actually understand what's happening with this patient because I'm going back to the biochemistry or going to the genetics and having a greater understanding of what what's happening here from a from a from a mechanism point of view and why. 
So it makes so much sense to me that, um, I mean, I, I knew you kind of loved drama and dance and all of that. I didn't realize you'd actually studied it and worked in it. I mean, that is news to me, but no surprise, because I think anyone who's heard you present on a stage will know that you capture the audience completely. You know, you're a master of the trade. And um, it, so, you know, what, what, a, what a beautiful way to utilize your first career to yeah. being able to educate. I, I thank you so much for saying that, you know, and I think for a while when I was first bringing more liveliness to presentations and teaching and, um, and, and, and speaking and podcasting, I felt a little nervous about bringing in so much drama or, or too, uh, like too much flair for the, for fear of maybe not being taken seriously. And then I realized, gosh, I think my whole life has led up to this moment where it's not about negating this life that I had prior to my becoming a dietitian. It was about embracing it and about saying, wait a second, I developed some skills that I think maybe are unique in this profession. Very often nutrition can be boring um, when you listen to it, or it's not funny. Um, you know, it, it, is broccoli a, a, a subject that a lot of people are going to feel gleeful talking about? Maybe not necessarily, but it could be. And if it can be, and whether it's broccoli or genetics or, you know, high cholesterol, whatever the case may be, um, or sustainability, right? If we can bring levity to those conversations, if we can communicate in a way that makes people go, huh, what, what, what was she just saying? Hold on. I'm, I'm listening a little bit, a little bit more uh, intently because there's some uh, dynamic or some humor or some, um, some way of conveying information that's somewhat refreshing. And, and I'm not saying that I, that I have the, the uh, uh, what's the word? I, it's not like I have the, um, I can't think of the kind darn of like word. That um, you own that space. Is that what yeah, you're I don't to... own that space, but I, I have, I have, um, I have discovered that I think it helps. I think it helps to um, to capture attention, which I'm very well, happy Well, it certainly about. has captured mine. And we've had this conversation before that I think that um, you're funny. And I love the humor. And I think that it stands out. I mean, there's two of you that I always say, like yourself and Carrie Jones, that capture my attention because, mm. and I think part of it is when you do your, let's call them skits, you know, with dancing and singing and vegetables and, and <laughs> it's so authentic, <laughs> it's so not contrived, but it's really funny. And mm. when you're exposed to a million influencers making smoothies in their kitchen, um, you know, I become quite kind of like bored of that. And so when I see the authenticity, but also it's more than that, you, and this is why I, th we, I think your drama background comes through, the confidence that you bring to it of being able to sing and dance with vegetables in your kitchen there are very few people that can do that. There are very mm. few people. And so it always makes me smile. It always makes me smile. And there's not a whole lot about nutrition that makes me smile. So I do think that you bring a way of connection um, around the conversation around vegetables and eating more vegetables and different vegetables and sustainability and being an eco that that is not um, that it unfortunately is very, very rare in our industry. And mm. so no matter how intentional or not, I think you do need your background to be able to do it so effectively. And then with your kind of authenticity in being an eco dietitian, I think it really shines through. And I wish there was 
you know, I, I look forward to kind of the whole kind of stand-up comedy one person, one, one man, one woman show on on um because I really do think it's it's something quite unique. And that's not the only thing that's unique about you, but I do I think anyone who does start following you and watches what I'm talking about will understand exactly what I'm saying. I think there's a severe lack of humor. I was saying the other day when we go to conferences, everyone dresses the same, like everyone mm. dresses the same. And so I've almost gone out of my way now, like to like push the boundaries a bit. And I think, um, except you, you don't dress the same. You don't, but, um, no. but you know what I mean? Like there is a, well, we get stuck in this idea of what, of what looks professional, right. And, and how you need to present. And, and in some cases, I think, I think we do have to, depending on who our audience is, right. We have to read our audience. If it's going to be a bunch of people, maybe that are extremely skeptical. I try and, I try and just maybe meet, meet those, those audience members where they're at while still being authentic. And I think you, you, you raised a really important word, which is authenticity, you know, whether you're funny or not, um, having authenticity, I feel like is what resonates for people. When people can tell that you are not, um, BSing them or that you really believe what it is that you are saying with wholehearted passion and genuine interest, and that you are very excited about conveying that information to people in a way that reaches them and resonates for them. I feel like that, you know, is, is really key for, for optimal communication of your message. I agree. I think it's as important as any of the content knowledge that you might be trying to communicate. I completely Agreed. agree. So let's go back to second. So you're a second career dietitian. And I always, I mean, if you, if you looked at all the podcasts I've done, um, probably 80% are second career. Mm -hmm. and, and that says, and that's a whole conversation in itself, you know, um, about why are we seeing the most impactful health professionals in this space who are really challenging how things are done are all second career. So, I mean, that's another conversation. I love that conversation, but we can, mm -hmm. yeah, it is a really interesting one. And it doesn't actually matter what that first career was, but when they make, they have some, another way of using their brain, another way of working, another content base, and then they switch to nutrition, dietetics, medicine. Why is it that that combination shifts things so fundamentally? So that is a very exciting conversation, but let's Agreed. talk about your second career moment. So you go to Bastia, um, you not only become an, an RDA and a dietitian, you actually do a master's in nutrition as well at Bestia. And I think you're still teaching at Bestia. Am I right? Yeah, I am. I started teaching there in 2015. So I was actually teaching the medical students. I taught the uh, students who were in the East Asian Studies uh, program. I taught the nutrition students. And I'm currently teaching a class there, which just switched its name. So I, I forgive me if I'm saying it incorrectly. It's now called Sustainable Food Systems environment and and health it used to be called ecological aspects of nutrition but that has that has shifted so um that's mostly what i'm teaching now is 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 around sustainability and its connection um you know in within the food system and that connection to nutrition and human health and i i teach at a few other places as well and other educational platforms on this topic so it's a similar conversation about genetics. It's like, why isn't this being taught in every single undergraduate program in every sec, every single health professional program? Absolutely. Every single undergraduate should have genetics and should have sustainability. Like, why is it that we're fighting so hard to add in a lecture here, or a lecture there? And that's posture, of course. So, you know, that's the easy one. That's a low hanging fruit. But 
you would think by now that we'd be teaching this subject at every single institution across the country. I completely agree. I mean, it, it's only going to serve the profession of, of healthcare professionals or wh whomever might be out there listening, dietitians, other people in the health who are in the healthcare providers, uh, because this is what's being talked about. If you don't know something about genetics or epigenetics, if you don't know something about environmental sustainability and planetary health, you are missing like an entire sector uh, of opportunity, whether you go into those or not, just being informed about them so that you can speak to it when you have a patient who comes in, or you can speak to it when you're talking about the influence that food has on the environment or climate change and, and the, and the role that you can play perhaps, you know, in, in the, uh, in the, this, your sphere of influence, whatever that may be. And we've absolutely, it's fundamental to, uh, to our practice and to our ability to, again, be, be agents of change in this field. And, and to that point, you know, about nine, I, I say nine years ago, because I remember because my, my youngest son had just been born, I had this real crisis around nutrition. Well, one of many, but this was my nine, nine years ago one. And mm -hmm. um, I, I had this, you know, real um, epiphany that, that the concept of biological science and nutrition was so limited that if, you know, the, this very kind of nutrient-based nutrition, you know, and um very reductionist, very focused on, on the nutrients and not the food, and then right. very focused on the food without the context of the environment. And yes. I, I have always had an interest in um, more social sciences. I didn't do science at school. I only did science at university. I did art and history and English was my focus. And I had this realization that if we only studied nutrition through a biological lens, we would be missing most of the, co the conversation. So I went off looking yeah. for where was the kind of social science conversation around, and this is say nine years ago, whatever that makes it, you know, 2013, 2014. And I found a program in Portland, Oregon. I was living in, in Durban, South Africa, so very far away. And mm. I found a master's program called um, uh, Food Systems and Society. As it was a master's program being offered at a very niche university in Portland that I signed up for. And it was, it was extraordinary. It was basically sociology, feminism. Um, wow. it, was, uh, it was extraordinary, actually. What I didn't realize, it was like this really serious, brilliant feminist program. Mm. Um, but what it was, it was basically grounded in, in, in social science and sociology and how food fitted in and, and looking at how people make choices about their food from a social demographic point of view, from a culture right. point of view, from, right. from a gender point of view. So mm -hmm. it opened my mind. Like it was like having my brain cracked open and going, oh my gosh, I've been in this world of nutrition and dietetics my whole life. And I've been looking at this tiny piece of the puzzle. Then of course I, I kind of, you know, specialized in genetics. That was another big piece of the puzzle. But if we don't understand nutrition in the context of, of people, <laughs> humans, yes. and how they engage, we actually have so little. So I actually wrote a paper, um, which uh, my thesis was on like why dietetics is a failed profession, didn't go down very wow. well. Okay. Yeah, and it was, okay. yeah, um, basically with the premise that we're missing social science, you know, so, yeah. and, then I, and then I went back to genetics. <laughs> so I was mm. gonna follow you. <laughs> But I decided, you know, I, I, I was very much on your path. And then I just, um, 
I realized I really did love genetics and I went back into genetics, but I really hear what you're saying. And I, I couldn't believe that the things that I was learning in that program, I had to mm -hmm. work so hard to go and find the knowledge. That's amazing. And I think that knowledge is coming out in much greater um, spaces now. So I, 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 I hear you loud and clear. And I feel like I got stuck in that nutrient path as well, where food was nutrients, food was medicine, but food is culture, food is uh, community, food is connection, food is about sovereignty, food is about justice, food is about environment. I mean, the intersection of all those right. things. And by the way, Yael, you are always welcome back. And there's an intersection between genetics and environment and food as well. So we, you know, that's a whole other uh, discussion, but, but yeah, I, I think we, we have lost sight. And, and the other problem with that, that, that I think is really key is around the evidence, right? Because as, as practitioners, as dietitians, we're seeking evidence-based information to apply to everything that we are putting into, into play with, with our patients. However, how do we measure certain things? How you know we can measure? Okay, if you if you have this this problem and you have this intervention and then you see you know the blood marker improve or the blood marker go down or the blood pressure change, you know there's been a, a shift and you can mark that with a number. But how do you measure the sense of connection to food? How do you measure? one's improvement of their relationship to food? How do you measure the sense of food justice uh, being, being embodied by a, a system that's been transformed? That is hard to measure. And I think, you know, we have lost sight of this other way of knowing, this indigenous perspective as well of looking at another viewpoint or another lens of what it means to I don't want to say measure again, but to feel success, you know, the felt state of what uh, a positive shift in the right direction ha has has meant. And um, and I think we we lose a lot by not being able to see things um, outside of the box of metrics. Yeah. And I think, again, you know, what I realized from my studies was that the, the, bi the biological science um, way of measuring is not the only way. And Not I think when way. you look at social science, there's a lot of ways to measure success, measure outcomes that are not about um, biomarkers, mm -hmm. um, but actually give great insight. And whether it's interviewing and, and, you know, there's, again, bringing the human back into the food, you know, and yes. I think that was a huge aha for me. And I knew so little, like I had no idea about all these research methodologies that came out of social science, psychology, anthropology, social work that was, gave us the ability to, to measure. So you could still measure, but you were measuring uh, something that was more fitting for what, for what, how food actually exists in our world. And I think mm -hmm. um, it was, it was truly eye-opening, you know, when say food justice was obviously the main theme of, um, of thing. And, and, you know, I think we live in a very limited, very, um, a bubble in, in in the nutrition world not talking about understanding food deserts and food justice and the mm. economics and politics and and everything all of those things are driving um how our clients and those around us are eating food buying food engaging with food cooking food and sharing food so i um if you can hear i just sound like i'm i wish i was doing your work and not mine um no, I'm well, not I, 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 I do think there's room for for all of it, and I think there's there's so many different 
avenues to engaging in these conversations, even just having these conversations. I mean, that that in itself is 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 important. You know, you don't have to be doing not you, but one doesn't have to be doing the work um, in order to still be engaged in in these issues of justice or these issues of food sovereignty or the other social issues that you talked about. I mean, even just this conversation, right? If, if people listen to this and they think, gosh, how can I view nutrition through an equity lens? How can I how can I teach? How can I talk with my clients understanding about what access means and how is environment? And I don't mean environment like your food environment um, only, but how is the actual environment and the degradation of our land, our soil, our water, our air? How is that affecting health outcomes? How is that affecting the quality of food? How is that affecting the relationship that people who live in those food deserts, or I know they're often called food apartheid, um, how, how does that affect their relationship, you know, with their own human health um, status? And I will bring it back to genetics for a moment, seems as this is yes, the power please. of genetics podcast. So the one thing that's been like a huge awakening for me that, um, you know, my first 15 years of my career in genetics, it was quite a simplistic way of seeing it. You know, I was very focused on the role of nutrients and food um, on, on um, gene expression, but also on, um, you know, gene variants and how they change the way we utilize, metabolize food, but it was very much around food, you know, and I think um, as the world of epigenetics, so gene expression, how our genes behave, how our genes switch on and off has grown. One mm -hmm. of the greatest moments for me is understanding how every single thing that happens to us in our world will change gene expression. Right. And I, I used to, just think of it in terms of food. And then I started understanding that when you give a person a hug, when you laugh, when you sit and have a meal together, when you grow your own food and then cook it, all of those acts are changing gene expression as they happen. Mm -hmm. So connection, humanity, community, um, growing your own food. And I'm not even talking about toxins or environmental toxins or right. pesticides. That, of course, goes without saying that it's going to change our genes and how our genes uh, express. I'm just talking about that more social environment of food is going to change the way genes. So genes are very, very closely linked because so much of what, what has changed in our culture will drive um, gene expression. So I do see, I do see the connection, and it's been wonderful for me to to appreciate how connection, community, connection to food and to people in our lives can change genetics. It is, and it, it opens up a whole other world of conversation that you can have with patients. That it isn't just about food, right? And, and I've heard it called the exposome. You know, anything that you are exposed to right. is having an impact on how your gene genes express themselves, or is having an impact on pathways. And being in nature, right? There's some great research. If we want to talk about research again, about the impact that being in nature actually has on changing gene expression, and you know. Uh, activating certain pathways that are beneficial to us in terms of our brain-derived neurotrophic factor or other other pathways in our body that are anti-inflammatory. So um yeah, it's just it's just fascinating. And and I you know, I feel like I grew up in New York City, Al, right? I was a sidewalk girl. I was like, oh trees, okay, whatever. But I moved to Seattle and I started, I started dating nature, right? I started going on on dates with nature. We started seeing each other and, and uh, you know, just testing the waters. And now I feel like, what, what have I been doing? What did I do the first 30 years of my life? How did I not connect with nature when it feels so fundamental? It feels so um, kin-like now. And, and 
I can't even imagine not having an opportunity to be more engaged with the natural environment. And I know that's the reality for many people, but boy, we've lost that connection of what it yeah. means to be engaged with, with natural phenomenons and, and um, trees and water and, and, and blue skies. I mean, it, boy, do I feel better when I'm in those, those kinds of worlds. Absolutely. And I'm the same, you know, uh, if I'm not, well, I'm, I'm one of those people, if I don't live close to the water, I feel like a fish that's on the side, like flapping their mm -hmm. fins because, you know, I feel so disconnected. And it's taken me a long time to realize how being close to nature modulates my mood so strongly, like so strongly. So I'm, but it took, you know, I'm, we're older now and it took me a very long time to realize the importance of it. And we now know from the research that it's true. You go walk from the forest, you walk barefoot in the soil. Uh, for me, you know, it's obviously all about swimming in the ocean and the cold water and being being rivers, oceans, any bit of water, actually. What that We now know what it does. But I think that um, it's the same with food. And I think mm -hmm. that it's a, that same connection, whether it's to a forest or whether it's to an ocean, it's to where's our food coming from? I mean, I'm preaching to the converted here, right? No, it's true <laughs> though. I, I completely yeah. agree. I mean, having a, you know the tactile experience of of growing your own food, of of understanding where it came from, of talking to the people who picked your food, the people who grew your food, even the person who's you know putting your food in the grocery bag that you brought to the store. There, there's been such a disconnect um, between us and the seed from where our food came, and the fact that we actually can be a part of that still, right? We can, we can, if, if possible, if, if it's accessible to us, we can be part of the growing process of growing our own food, of being more in touch with that. And I, I think that really changes your dynamic with, uh, with what it, what food means to people as well. Well, we definitely agree with each other. There's absolutely no doubt about that. All right. Well, I could talk to you for hours and I will talk to you for hours. So I just have to kind of tap we it. Have to we, stay on track. we have to it. stay on track. Um, but I hope, I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's such an important conversation and I just, you know, I just want to urge everyone that at every opportunity that you can to engage with the work that Mary's doing, whether it's, you know, as eco dietitian, talking about sustainability, learning about food systems, learning about food justice, like they're not, you know, um, and maybe Mary can share some other results. Maybe what, what we'll do is we'll give you a chance just to, so where would someone go to learn more about your work? And then we're going to finish. Let's do that. And then we'll finish off with my final question to kind of bring okay. it all together. Yeah, that's very kind of you. I mean, I, I do have a website, which people are welcome to go to. It's marypurdy.co. And actually, if people are interested in understanding more about the relationship between sustainability and food systems and human health, I have a whole section. It's a hub on my website called Sustainability. It is free resources, papers that I have created bullet points around um, educational opportunities, uh, organizations that are working to transform the food system. So if people are interested in learning more, they can head over to that area too. And I have a podcast there and I host a podcast called the Good Clean Nutrition Show as well, which uh, touches on uh, sustainability as well as trending nutrition topics. But um, yeah, you can find me there. Excellent. And that's marypurdy.co, right? You got it. Yeah. Without the M. Marypurdy.co without the M. I know. That's okay, a, she's a Reiki right. practitioner. We, we've been in touch. <laughs> I know that world of not getting, being able to get this, the, the COM at the end. Um, yeah. So Mary, let's, let's finish off with um, 
advice. So uh, hopefully a whole lot of people are listening to this. Um, I'm sure there'll be some practitioners who either are starting out in the career or their students and they're studying some kind of profession, health profession, or they're, they really are health professionals, but they feel that discontent that often happens to us, you know, a couple of years into our work, what would be the advice that you would give them in terms of their journey, uh, moving ahead, changing things, having an impact? Hmm, I'm going to say a few things and hopefully I'm going to remember them because they just flew into my head and I hope they don't slow out. Um, number one, I would say is always be curious. Stay curious whether that is about what's happening in your profession, what are areas of your profession that maybe you think you disagree with, but maybe there's something to be learned from that. Staying curious about your own responses to things like, why did I get so angry with that? Or why am I so interested in that? Or why did that, you know, bring up this emotion for me? So really staying curious and curious about other perspectives, I think is key. Um, number two, I would say it's really easy to get stuck in the, oh, why didn't I do that? I should have done that. I wasted this time. No, I thought that for a long time. And then I realized, oh yeah, okay. Everything that I have done up until this point has relevance. You know, should I have become a dietitian when I was 23 years old? No, I absolutely am so glad that I took the path that I did because I was able to gain all of this other um, experience being able to speak publicly and and being able to to feel confident in myself. And that has so much relevance. So don't undermine past experience or feel like you've wasted your time. Um, and lastly, I would say, I think this is the one that just flew out of my head, Yael. Um, I knew I should have written it down. I would say lastly, I remember what it is. Um, connect connect with other people. It is so easy, even though it might be a little scary, to reach out to somebody whose work you really admire and respect and say, hey, I really admire and respect your work. I'm wondering if you would have 20 minutes to chat with me on this day at this time. Be sure to give a day and a time because sometimes people will not respond unless you do that. But people want to help. They, they, If they are passionate, if they are authentic, their work um, is going to be only further elevated by your taking an interest and perhaps continuing their their story and and their and their journey as well. So talk to other people, connect, partner, collaborate. I can't emphasize more how key that is, especially in this digital age where we're all so separate and so divided by differing opinions and um, afraid to reach out. So reach out. And my experience, um, everyone says yes. They say yes. Almost they always. say yes. Almost always. Yep. Almost always. Ex yep. The exception that you'll get a no. So I completely agree. Reach out and, and you'll be surprised just how many yeses you get. Well, Mary Purdy, thank you so much. It's been wonderful as I expected to be even more wonderful. And I look forward to maybe meeting you for coffees in the city yes. that we live in the same. Um, I'd like to see the back of your head, Yael. I'd like to see the back of your head instead exactly. of just your face on, on Zoom. Exactly. <laughs> and the side, you know, and my whole and the body, side. just my head. Anyway, Mary, <laughs> thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I hope we can inspire some people to, to learn more and, and do more in, in sustainability. So thank, thank you. Thank you, Yael. And thank you for providing the space to have these kinds of conversations. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Power of Genetics podcast. 
brought to you by 3x4 Genetics. For more episodes, please visit 3x4genetics.com backslash podcasts.